You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad you could join us today. For all of our friends joining us online, High Ridge family, would you help me give them a warm welcome? Come on, you can do better than that. Hey, welcome. We're glad you're watching today. I think God's going to speak something that you need to hear. And so it's going to be good. So grab your Bibles, follow along if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue on with our series called The Bottom Line. Somebody say The Bottom Line. The Bottom Line. It's going to be good. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, I want to just say thank you for being a generous church. You guys are an amazing, amazing generous church. And uh, we had the the unique opportunity to experience something very bittersweet in first service. We did the, uh, the commissioning of two new missionaries that we're sending out to Cameroon. And so that is the Barry family. And uh, there was a lot of tears shed in our very first service. And so I just wanna let you know how proud we are of them, how difficult it is to say goodbye. But it's also a moment to be extremely grateful for your generosity. You guys are making a difference all around the world and your giving is doing fantastic things. Uh, with people that you may never, ever see this side of heaven. Uh, But because of your generosity, these guys are leaving here fully funded. I love that. They're not walking out and going into doing what God has called them to do and having to, uh, yeah, having to just step out on faith. We're able to step out on a little bit of cash too, so I'm grateful for that. Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for taking care of them. You'll still see them next week. We'll be there last Sunday, but make sure you get a chance to hug their necks and tell them how much you love and appreciate them as as I know that you will. Uh, But just... Just please hear it from me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be able to make a difference all around the world with your finances. It's making a big difference. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to continue on with our series called The Bottom Line. These are the last words that the Apostle Paul will write down for us to read. It's his last will and testament, kind of. It's the, it's the moment where he puts down everything that the young Pastor Timothy is going to need to know. And as Paul is stepping off the stage, Timothy is stepping up into what God has called him to do. And I love that generational uh, letter, one that encourages this young pastor to, to become. And as he's doing this, he uses a very, a very unique uh, thing for Paul, a very unique way of writing. And he just gives him just the good stuff, just the bottom line. And I love that. I believe that every generation appreciates plain language. Just say it. And we've tried to kind of build our church around that same kind of attitude, just Just tell me what God's word says and tell me how I can apply it to my life. Just tell me, I need to know what's the bottom line. What do you want me to do? And Paul does that at the end of his life. He speaks very clearly to Timothy and helps him to deal with the anxieties of ministry and the things that he's having to step into, which are, let me just say, hard to handle. He's stepping in at a very difficult time. Now, one generation's anxiety may be called something different than the next generation's anxiety, but anxiety is still anxiety. Come on, somebody. I may not have had to walk through the the same things that you've had to walk through, and maybe it was a different time, but I'm still afraid. And so Paul, when he's dealing with these things, as he's speaking to Timothy, it's like, I recognize you're gonna have to walk through some stuff, and it might be different than mine, but it's gonna be your stuff, and it's gonna be a big deal to you. Now, I know in my grandfather's generation, the greatest generation, World War II was a big deal, and we don't understand that kind of anxiety when the entire world goes to war against the Nazis, and Germany's taking over and just doing this this massive campaign to just rule the world. And it's a horrible time, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a worldwide 
phenomenon of everyone trying to come together and push the Nazis back. And uh, I, I don't understand that kind of anxiety of what it must have been like to live in that kind of time period or with my dad's time period of these guys having to walk through Vietnam where they reinstate the draft and you're graduating from high school and next thing you know, here's your number getting called and you're getting shipped off to a country uh, to fight a battle you know nothing about and very, very poorly organized, all kinds of things going wrong. I don't understand that kind of anxiety. My anxiety started with a game called Operation back in the day. <laughs> you, you remember that? Those little tweezers you just try not to get electrocuted? Like, now that's not the same as being drafted, but it's anxiety to me. And Paul speaks very plainly about the things that Timothy's gonna have to walk through. And he sets him up for success, and I love that. So we're just gonna read as much as we can uh, of this chapter, chapter four, the last words that Paul writes. And uh, I've, I've been very careful in this, in this series to give you as much scripture as possible because it's important that you read it in its entirety. So I want you to read it with uh, that generational uh, filter as you're looking at one person imputing the word of God and encouraging the one that's about to step up into what God has called them to do. So it says this, starting in verse one, follow along if you would. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing I, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now say the next three words with me. Preach the word, say it like you mean it, come on. Preach the word. Notice how Paul sets that up. He's like, in the name of Jesus Christ and all that is holy, I'm telling you one thing. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this one thing. Preach the word. Well, that's an important thing for us to know today as well. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Preach the word. We need the word. It's the word that brings life. It's the word that brings hope. It's the word that brings truth. We need the word. Somebody give me a good amen if you wouldn't mind. Amen. Preach the word, he says this. And be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Notice those three things. Correction, rebuke, and encouragement. He says, how do we do that? He says, you do it with great patience. That's good for us to know. We don't do a lot of rebuking and correction with great patience. But he says, here's the filter that I want you to put on your, on your rebukes. Great patience. You still with me? He says, and careful instruction. Now notice this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, we are living in that time period today. Come on, somebody. Says so you're gonna, you're gonna just tell yourself what you wanna hear and surround yourself with the same voices. You don't wanna hear the truth. You wanna hear what you wanna hear. He says this, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, somebody say you. Yeah. Now say this, say me. me. He says, keep your head. By the way, when, when I read this, I started laughing because in its dark humor, I get this. I understand it. I understand this. But Paul's about to be beheaded. And it's not like he doesn't know how he's gonna go. Paul's a Roman citizen and his execution that's coming, there's only one way to go out. Now, because Paul is a Roman citizen, he gets the benefit of having a quick death. And it's considered an honor for him to go out this way as uh, one that's being beheaded. Now, for everybody else, they have to be crucified. They get to be tortured over several days. And so it's a hardcore death. And Paul's like, hey, but you keep your head. I can't help but... <laughs> But giggle a little bit at that. That's, that's some dark humor. I get it. But still, he wrote it. I didn't write that. Don't be offended at me. He wrote it. Hey, keep your head. <laughs> in, a, 
in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. By the way, this is for all of us. He said, lead people to Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then Paul says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. And then I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, but I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Powerful words that Paul writes. When he says, I fought the good fight, it's the Greek word agonizomai, which means I've engaged in a lot of conflict, man. I fought a lot of battles. He said, but it wasn't just fighting for the sake of fighting. He said, it was the good fight. I fought for the right reason. He says, and I've kept the faith in the midst of all my struggles and battles, all those conflicts. He says, I've kept the faith. I've kept my faith in Christ. He says, and I've finished my race. I know that my, my departure's coming, but this is what I can say. I did what God asked me to do. Well, I don't think any better words could be said over any of us at the end of our life. I've done what God asked me to do. I've kept my faith all the way to the end. That's what I'm talking about right there, finishing well. He says, now... There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to award me on that day. And not just to me, but also to all of those who have longed for his appearing. Then he says, do your best to come to me quickly. Because Demas, he loved this world and he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone on to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he's helpful to me in ministry. And by the way, that's an important scripture because Mark is the same one that he sent him home and Mark couldn't handle the trials of ministry. He's like, you need to go home, you big crybaby. And then all of a sudden at the end of his life, he's like, you know what? Send, send me Mark. He's, he's useful. He's helpful. He's learned a lot of lessons. He's grown up a little bit. Send him. He's useful to me. And then he says this, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Uh, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And then Paul gives us a little bit of insight to his present condition and his mental health. And he says, you know, at my first defense, no one came to support me and everybody deserted me. He says, but may it not be held against him. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Those are great words for us to pay attention to today. He said, the Lord did that so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I love that he doesn't say, the Lord will bring me safely to a place where he will save my life. He doesn't say that. He says, my, my goal is not to preserve my life. My goal is to finish over there said, he's going to lead me safely to his kingdom. That's the end for Paul. He has a different perspective than what you would expect when someone is facing death. But here he is saying, my goal is not, is not something here for safety. My goal is to be safely there. Do you see the difference? And so he says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he goes through a list of his friends. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. This is an apostolic husband and wife that have a church in their home. He said, into the household of Onesiphorus. I don't know if you say that the right way. I'm just going to pretend like I did. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Now, by the way, this is an important scripture. You need to underline this. This shows us that not everybody gets healed. Paul says, I had to leave him, and he was sick. 
This is important for you to have at your theology because this scripture exists. Like, it's an actual thing. Not everyone got healed. He says, I had to leave him sick. I had to leave him behind. He didn't recover. Look at this. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and the sisters. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you all. And those are the last words that we have written and recorded from the Apostle Paul. And some of the greatest things that you will ever find that he writes are right in here, especially in chapter four. So many good things. And if we could narrow it down to just the bottom line, what is Paul saying that that he wants to make sure that Timothy understands? He underlines it twice, pretty much, with the way that he speaks. And the first is simply this. Number one, preach the word. And number two, finish the race. Preach the word, finish the race. We're gonna build everything that we talk about over the next few moments along with along those two thoughts. Preach the word. Somebody say, preach the word. Finish the race. Lots of people start it. Lots of people at that beginning. Lots of people love the starter's gun, but not everybody finishes. And so Paul is encouraging him as he starts this race. He said, make sure that this race is one that you're going to finish. Persevere, endure. He said, I've done it. You can do it. And so I want to give us four things, things that I believe that the Apostle Paul is not only speaking to Timothy, but things that he would speak to us today as believers, things that we can glean from this chapter that would encourage us and help us to understand the importance of what it means to endure and to persevere, to preach the word and to finish well. So the first of four things, if you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. Number one, my life is my sermon. My life is my sermon. So at the beginning of this chapter four, Paul makes sure that he emphasizes it with his strongest language. He says, preach the word. Say it with me. Preach the word. Well, what about me, pastor? I'm not a preacher. Yeah, you are. Your life will tell some people everything they need to know about Jesus. It's a sobering thought when we think about what our life is really preaching. When he says preach the word, the original language there means to say it with conviction. Preach it like you mean it. And if everyone is not called to be upon a platform and to have a microphone and a, an audience or a church, but all of us are called to preach the word. All of us are called by the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we handle offenses, the way that we talk to people. All of it is preaching a message. So the question then becomes, what is your life sermon really about? What are you preaching? What are you declaring? You see, everyone is a preacher, but not everyone preaches the word. Your life is a sermon. Your life is a message. And Paul wants to encourage Timothy to make sure that your life revolves around the word of God. Preach the word. And so as we're digging into this and we're seeing the things that he says, Paul makes sure that he tells him, preach it with conviction. Preach it like you mean it. Don't preach it with timidity. Don't be afraid, but say it like you mean it. For those of you that had a grandpa that grew up in, the, in that hardcore greatest generation where they would just make you say yes, sir, no, sir. How many people grew up like that? It's yes, sir, and it's no, sir. And when you say yes, sir, like, no, say it with your chest. You know, come on, say it right. Yes, sir. Remember that? Some of you had those. Like, you couldn't just say yes, sir. It was yes, sir. This is what Paul is, this is the kind of attitude that Paul has with Timothy. He's like, preach it like you mean it. Say it for real. Say it with your chest. I think he would encourage us to live our life as a response to Jesus' love and grace. Live it like you mean it. 
Preach the word. Do it with conviction. See, how you live tells some people all that they're ever going to know. It was once said that your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. Your life is the only reflection of, of Jesus that some people will ever see. It's interesting to me that as Paul is, is writing this letter, he's, he's chained up in a prison awaiting his death, which is going to come uh, very shortly. And he tells us that he's, he's not in there alone, even though he feels pretty lonely, but they've actually handcuffed him to a Roman prisoner. Not a prisoner, a Roman guard. He's the prisoner. The Roman is, is the guard. And then he tells us, nevertheless, the gospel's not enchained, and I've led a few of these guys to Christ at the end of my life. It's crazy how you think, you know, here he is in prison, like, but this guy's the captive audience. He can't go anywhere. He's chained to me. I'm leading him to Jesus. I wonder how many people God's put inside of your life that you might be handcuffed to, you might be working next to, that really need the message of Christ. They need you to preach it like you live it. And Paul, even in the midst of all of the things he's having to walk through at the end of, the, at the end of his life, he's still showing people what it means to endure to the end and to live what he means and to mean what he's living. When I first came back to Christ and I had uh, started just absorbing the word of God. I was working for a pest control company and spending every day that I could trying desperately to just learn more. I had a deep desire and a hunger for the word of God. And one of the first things that my boss asked me to do, he said, hey, you're doing really well in this job. I need, I'm hiring someone else and I want you to train them for the next couple of weeks. And so he assigned me and he had hired a guy. He assigned me to a guy named Chris. Now, Chris was one of those guys that could just brighten up any room the moment that he walked out. We had a nickname for him around the office. His nickname is Eeyore. Now, if you're familiar with the Winnie the Pooh verbiage, you know, he, some of you know a person like this. He's just never met a day he didn't hate, never met something that wasn't just the worst ever. Everything hurts. Everything is bad. Everything is stupid. Everything is going to go from bad to worse constantly. Just one of those kind of people. Don't elbow nobody. This is for you. And I'm like, man, I don't want to ride with Chris because... We had to, you had to change the way that you talked around Chris. When Chris would come into the office in the morning, I'd say, hey, good morning. He'd say, what's good about it? I'm like, oh, great. Hey, I'm sorry. I yeah, it's horrible. I don't know. <laughs> we would change the way we would speak. I wouldn't say good morning. I would just say morning because I thought he's just going to say what's good about it. And after about three weeks of that, I'm like, morning. And he would say, yeah, I'm moaning. I'm moaning this morning. I slept wrong and my wife snored all night and my dog is sick. I can't afford to take my dog to the vet. This job doesn't pay me enough money. I'm like, huh? Coffee? How do you handle a person like that? And my boss said, I want you to train him. So for the next two weeks, you guys are going to be riding together in the same truck. I'm like, man. This is really inconvenient for me. And so he gets in the truck and I just begin to pray. I'm like, God, what do I do? Because we're not even like balancing each other out with my natural tendency to look on the bright side and try to have some optimism. I've just changed my life. I'm getting into God's word. Lots of great things are happening for me. And this guy over here is just a wet blanket on any fire. We're not balancing out. He's making me worse. And the Lord began to remind me of, of Paul. He's like, he's handcuffed to you for the next two weeks. I'm like, you are right. Who's the prisoner here? <laughs> you know, at the end of a couple weeks, as I began to minister to him through those weeks, just began to talk to him, listen to him, at the end of two weeks, he was one of the first people I ever led to Christ. I remember my brother and I were gathering around him, laid our hands on him, and 
he knelt down right there in the middle of an old field, dirty, nasty shop, got on his knees. He said, there's something different about you guys. You don't look at life the same way that I look. I want, I, I want what you have. It was cool to watch God work through what I thought was an inconvenience. And I recognized that the Lord was calling me to do the work of an evangelist, lead people to Jesus. Even though it didn't seem like old Chris was ever going to listen to anything I had to say. But yet, I look back on that time and think, wow, in the midst of all that, Lord, you showed me. This guy is the one that's the captive prisoner. He's going to have to listen to me talk about Jesus all day long. I'm going to say it like I mean it. And he listened, and it changed his life. So uh, here's the second thing I want to make sure that you see. Number two, I can't wait till I'm ready to be ready. I think that speaks to a lot of us, believing that at some point, there's some future version of you that's going to be ready to be used by God. And it's just not true. As a matter of fact, over and over in Scripture, Paul tells Timothy 25 times, be strong. He tells him, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill all the things that God has called you to fulfill. And he tells him, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You're more ready than you think you are. You don't have to have it all worked out. You don't have to have perfect conditions. Just tell people what I told you. Just do what, I, what you've seen me do. You just do that. And let the Lord begin to impart some things as you step out in faith and just do what you know to do. Paul says this, to be ready in season and out of season. That means that there's no season of doing the work of the evangelist. It's who we're called to, to be. It's, it's what we're called to do. It's always the right time to talk about Jesus. Now think in the midst of a lot of other things that the Lord would call us to, calls us to do, there are seasons. But he says, no, no, not with this. Preach the word. Live it like you mean it. And do that in season or out of season. Now, when I first moved to East Texas, I wasn't familiar with the hunting laws. And so I asked somebody one time, um, when is deer season here? And they said, boy, around here, deer season ain't nothing but salt and pepper. Now, some of you won't get that. Others of you are criminals. It's like, we shoot deer when we're hungry. I'm like, that, that's, that is illegal. But I realized, like, it's always the right time around here. You see it, you like it, shoot it. I'm like, whoo. I realized the same thing was true for dove season. Like, when is dove season? Like, boy, around here, if it flies, it dies. Okay. Now, for any of you that work for Texas Parks and Game and Wildlife, like, we, I want to apologize. There was no one that currently goes to this church. I'll tell you the name of the right church and depend. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Paul says, do this in season or out of season. So how do I really do that? How, how do I prepare for the things that God has called me? And just how do I recognize the season? How do I make sure that I'm doing what God has called me in the right season, all that stuff? I, I found it to be true when I, when I say it this way. I prepare for big ministry by doing small ministry, by just doing what God has in front of me and just being willing to serve. So when I first came to Christ, and I'd, uh, right, a few weeks before I even led uh, Chris to Christ, uh, there, was, there was a time in my life where I just showed up to church. I hadn't been to church in years, and I just wanted to come and just to sit. But the Lord had, had, had other things in store for me. I wanted to just receive. There was a good pastor speaking some things. The worship was pretty good, and the Lord began to deal with my heart, and he says, I want you to talk to that worship pastor and, and volunteer to serve. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm busy. I want to preach. It's like, well, how are they going to listen to you? Nobody knows you. 
What are you going to say? Like, I don't know, but it would be amazing. People would love it. So I asked the worship pastor to lunch. He goes to lunch, and I said, um, I, I know that you don't know me. I just started coming here, but I'm, I'm really good. I am gifted. I have unlimited potential. You're going you're gonna to see. Like, I have done some amazing things. And that, that's not really what I said, but that, that was my attitude. If you only knew how great I am. You would just, you know, if you ever need to take a couple weeks off, just let me, just turn the team over to me. It'll be fine. I'll do it way better than you. That's the kind of attitude I had. And he said, he was so gracious to me. And I was, I mean, he's still one of my great friends. And I, I love that he saw beyond, you know, my, my conceited and arrogant attitude. And he said, you just want to serve. Let me, let me, let me put that to the test. So he said, would you, would you come on Wednesday night and we'll plug you in? Absolutely. I would love to lead this church on Wednesday night. Like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> I showed up on Wednesday night and they, they took me over to the youth room. I said, what would you have me do? Am I preaching to youth now before you let me preach to big church? He says, no, I'd like you to just open the door and let the kids in. I'm like, what? Well, where's the stage? Where's the microphone? No, 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 just open the door and tell them hello. And there's part of me that wanted to tell him I am way above this. But there's also something where I realize I'm being obedient to what the Lord has asked me to do by being available in season, out of season, whether it's convenient or not convenient, just doing what God has called me to do. Why? Because it's always a good season to be obedient. And so I started opening the door. And there's about 30 teenagers that would come on a Wednesday night and I got to know them pretty well. And I'm thankful that this was, this was back before the days of everybody carrying cell phones and cameras and them walking in with all their phones because I could do some crazy things. They'd walk past me and I'd pull hair and I'd grab a kid and he'd walk past me. If he didn't say thank you, which most of them didn't, I'd just kick him in the butt. Get on in there. But after a while, I realized they loved it. And so they would come in just swinging, jumping on my back. And we developed this great relationship with some of these. I mean, I preached their weddings. I preached a few of them's funerals. I've been there for them when they graduated and they've gone on to fantastic things. Some of them are pastors today, but it started with just a relationship at the door. And the pastor finally comes back after a few weeks and he says, I know you've been here for a while. I'm looking for uh, another pastor. This pastor has moved on. And would you mind taking over the youth for a couple of weeks and just... Just keeping them you know, in the room and keeping them safe. Don't let anybody die for the next few weeks and I'll bring in another youth pastor. We're hiring one. I said, sure, I'll, I'll do it for the next couple of weeks. And so I grabbed the microphone for the first time. Began to preach my first sermon to those 30 kids. And with just a, a few weeks later, this youth group had exploded from 30 kids to 190. And I recognized a powerful concept that comes to us directly from scripture that your gift will make room for you. But your gift has to be submitted. And your gift has to be in a place where you can lay down your life and like Christ say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What do you want from me? It comes from a place of humility. I learned some powerful things. Just opening a door for a bunch of teenagers that wanted to beat me up. I learned things like, I want to beat you up too. This is great. We're going to be great friends. I don't have to be ready to be ready. Can I get a good amen, everybody? I wrote it down this way. I don't need perfect conditions to serve a perfect God. And for some of you here, you're, you're called to serve, and you know this. And I'm not asking you to serve because we need more people to serve around here. I'm asking you to serve because it's good for you. You need to do this. You'll never graduate to the greater things that God has for your life until you're willing to walk in humility and serve in the little things. I might ask you to make a cup of coffee, maybe cleaning a restroom, maybe straightening some chairs. It's good for you. I won't ask you to do something that I haven't done. 
But Paul tells Timothy, as you're getting ready to step on this stage, just know this, do it in season and out of season. So when he says this, when he says to be ready, to be ready in season out and out of season, that, that Greek translation of that word means to literally be on standby. Now, for those that have ever uh, flown on standby, you know, you don't want to be the person on the standby list. That's not what you want. You want, I, I have 11A. That is my chair. I am on this flight. It leaves in 20 minutes. I got a seat. You don't want to be on standby because that means you're going to stay close and listen for your name, watch for the opportunity. They may tell you, oh, this flight's not going, but that flight is going. You need to get to this, uh, this terminal as quickly as you can. You're going to be in this seat. We're going to try to squeeze you on this one. You got to pay attention. And Paul's saying, that's the way I want you to live. Be ready for the ministry opportunity in season and out of season. That word translates, by the way, also uh, to whether it's convenient or inconvenient. And I think that helps us to really see a better picture of what the Lord is calling each of us to do because we're waiting for a time where it's convenient. And Paul says, it's not gonna be always convenient. I'm sitting in prison. I'm handcuffed to a Roman guard. It's pretty inconvenient for him, but it's really convenient for me. He's got to listen. I wonder what could God do with your inconveniences? What could God be walking into you, walking into your life that looks like an inconvenience? I wrote it down this way. When I, what I call inconvenience, the Bible calls ministry opportunity. I think that's going to help you this week. Look at problems differently. Lord, what are you showing me? What would you have me to do? Here's the third thing. Number three, I need to hear the truth, not my truth. Somebody give me a good amen. I need to hear the truth, not my truth. There's, there's no such thing as my truth. That's, a, that's a, a modern thing that we've incorporated into our vernacular, into our culture. That's not a thing. There's no such thing as my truth. There is true or untrue. And God's word is truth. It supersedes what you feel. And just because everyone is saying it, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it true. God's word is truth. Paul says, the time's gonna come when people will not put up a sound doctrine, but only what their itching ears want to hear. And never before in the history of our world could this scripture ring more true than today. It says, you wanna hear what you wanna hear. And trust me, as your pastor, as, uh, as, as a person that speaks for a living, I honestly want every Sunday to tell you what you wanna hear. I really do. I wish, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but it's me being as honest as I can with you. I wanna tell you great things. I want to tell you things that will encourage you and challenge you and build you up and strengthen you. But if it's not what the Lord wants to say, I got to learn how to shut up because this is his church. And I have to be obedient to what his word says. This is my guideline. And if his word doesn't say that, I'm not telling you that. If the Lord can raise up anybody to do anything, he certainly doesn't need me. He talked through a donkey one time and they even in the King James Version listed it as not a donkey. <laughs> I recognize what I am. I'm just a donkey. God can speak through anybody at any time. He doesn't need me. But I have an obligation to preach the truth of God's word. There is no my truth. There is no your truth. There is the truth, and that's it. And I need to hear the truth. This word is the only thing that brings life. It's the only thing that brings health and hope. It's the only thing that brings real peace. The only, only thing that brings real instruction. It's his word, not my word. It's his. But I wrote down this. It's okay to be challenged with the truth. It's good for me. I need it. I need to hear the truth. It's okay. Even if you don't want to hear it, I need to hear it. 
I don't want to just hear what I want to hear, and neither do you. If you're going to be honest, you want to hear the truth. You, you, you look like you don't trust me, like I'm like, no, honestly, I really do just want to hear what I want to hear. I, I get that. But let me say it this way. You would sue your doctor if they didn't tell you the truth. If your doctor looked at you and said, oh, your numbers are off the charts, that ain't a good thing. That ain't good. I've never seen a person with these kind of numbers. That, that is not what you want to hear. <laughs> if your doctor tells you the truth, that's a good doctor. I need to hear the truth. I may not like what you're saying, but I need to hear the truth. And Paul tells Timothy, you preach the word. People are not going to put up with, with sound doctrine. They're not going to want to hear it. They're going to surround themselves with their own version of the truth. That cannot be you. You have to pay attention to God's word so that you can finish well. I, I wrote it down this way. I need to hear the truth if I'm expected to bet my life on it. Here's the fourth and final thing. We'll close out with this. Number four, I may be alone, or I may be lonely, but I'm not alone. I may be lonely, but I'm not alone. Paul has a list of people that had done him harm and that had abandoned him, that had walked away. He says, but nevertheless, the Lord stood by me. The Lord's still with me, and I, I'm, I'm battling some loneliness. He's having a hard time not, not becoming bitter. I love that he gives us a good, a good kind of glimpse into his mental health. He's like, I'm fighting through a lot of stuff here. These people have deserted me. The moment that they put me in prison, and I'm not, a, I'm not convenient to them anymore, they've all left me. They started their own ministries and forgotten all about me. It feels really lonely. He said, nevertheless, I'm not alone. The Lord is with me. I got this Roman guard over here. I'm gonna tell him about Jesus. He tells Timothy, just try to come to see me and, 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 and send Mark too. I, I wanna see him. I may be lonely, but I'm not alone. It helps me also to see this important truth. Uh, please look at the screen if you would. Uh, not everyone will make it. Not everyone's gonna make it. And Paul comes to that stark realization at the end of his life that people he thought would be with him to the end, they're not. But instead of just focusing on how people have made him feel when they left him, he starts focusing his attention on, let me just encourage the ones that are sticking it out. And that shows us a powerful concept of what happens when we change our focus to not the ones that didn't get it and the ones that quit and how much they hurt us, but those that are still with me. Let me encourage them before I step off the scene. Let me make sure that they have everything that they have that they would possibly need to accomplish the will that God has for them to accomplish. Paul begins to change his focus to those that he wants to make sure that they know how much they've meant to him. He begins to thank his friends personally. I love that he always ends his letters by thanking people by name. It shows us that the, you know, the greatest commendations are public commendations. And you can appreciate somebody, but if you never tell them, that's not true appreciation. I think it's easy for us to get lost in the people that have done us wrong. And I've got my list, you've got your list, people that have hurt me tremendously. But instead, I focus on those that are here, those that are willing to receive the word, those that are still trying. And Paul says, you know, after all of this has been said and done, there's a crown waiting for me. For those that endure, for those that have persevered, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. And Jesus himself is gonna give me that crown. I've earned it. He says, and look, it's not just for me. It's for anybody else that is anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. If you endure to the end, if you pursue him, 
If you're going to finish well, if you're going to finish the race and keep the faith, there's a crown. There's a trophy for that. Now, we live in the age of participation trophies. Trophies don't mean much down here because, hey, if you signed up, you get a trophy. Like, I didn't even play in a game. Oh, great trophy. And that's just the way that it is. Now, I'm not here to say it's right or wrong, but it's wrong. Um, <laughs> what I am saying is it's cheap. It's cheap. This applies to a lot of the areas of our life and the things that you've had to walk through. It's easy for us to get focused on the people that have hurt us and to give up, to separate ourselves, to pull away when life hurts. But Paul says, I'm going to endure to the end. I'm going to stick it out even when it's hard. I'm going to encourage some people. I'm going to serve some people. I'm going to be there and give them what they need. And there's a trophy for that. And I'm going to have it. And you're going to have it too. And everybody else that endures to the end it's going to have that trophy if they don't give up. I want to say it this way. Don't forfeit your crown up there for a cheap one down here. As we look at the end of Paul's life, he makes sure that he strengthens those that are still in the game, those that are still fighting. He doesn't spend his time lamenting over those that aren't there anymore. Some people are going to be in your life for a season. Some people, you don't get to see the, the end of their story. But instead of focusing on, on them, start focusing on the ones that are still there with you, those that are still trying to encourage you, those that are still in the game, those that are still working. 2020 hit a lot of churches really, really hard, and people left in droves. People turned away from the gospel, and will continue. There's the, the Bible calls it a great falling away. That's happening. And I could lament, or I could recognize it's supposed to happen. Not everybody's going to make it. Spend your time focusing on those that have stayed, those that are still pursuing the call of God on their life, those that are still willing to serve and go and to give and to pray, those that are still in the game. And so I want to spend my time encouraging you and encouraging those that are watching online, you're still here. And if you're still here, that means God's not done. And I hope that encourages you and blesses you as we remind ourselves to, to preach the word like we mean it and to finish the race. Can you receive that? Is that Okay. As we finish up today, I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray over you if that's okay. And for those of you watching online, I want to pray for you as well. If you liked what you heard today, would you do us a favor? Click the share button. It's always a big blessing to us when people will share this message with their social media world. It really does mean a lot to me when you do that. So thank you for that. And as we're bowing our head, as we're closing our eyes, I believe that the Holy Spirit's wanting to speak something to you. He's wanting to encourage you. He's wanting to challenge you. So would you do me a favor? Would you just simply just open up your hands and maybe just place them on your knees as a sign of submission and surrender, putting ourselves in a position to receive whatever the Lord might be speaking to our lives? Would you do that? And as you do that, I want to pray over you. Good. Let's pray. Father, we put ourselves in a position to receive from you. We're not fighting you for control. We're not trying to tell you what we want. Father, instead, we just want to receive from you all that you have for us. We recognize that for, for each and every one of us, Lord, you're always calling us higher, calling us deeper, calling us to a place of deeper submission to you, calling us to a place where we can surrender and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I want what you want. So, Lord, with our hands open in a position to receive, Father, I pray for a new impartation of peace for your people that are willing to receive it. 
I pray for a new impartation of hope. If you can receive that, say yes. Just say yes. Lord, I pray for a new impartation of courage. Can you receive some courage today? Just say yes. Yes, I receive it. I pray for a new impartation of faith to stand strong and to love well. Lord, strengthen your people today. Encourage them. Let them accomplish your purpose in their time to make a difference for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, if I'm going to be honest, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need one. I am far from God. My friend, if you need to come home, if you need that relationship with Jesus, then please pray with me. I'm, I'm going to help you. I'll tell you what to say, but pray with me right where you are. Pray with me. Pray these words. Say this. Just say, Jesus. Come on, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you came and died. I believe you rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. I invite you to take over. I live for you, for your glory, for your praise. My life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, if that was you and you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you look up at me and slip up your hand? That was me, Pastor. I prayed that prayer. I did that. I see you. I did. Good, good, good. I did that, Pastor. I prayed. I asked Christ into my heart. Good for you. If you're watching online as well, hey, I'm so proud of you. Please, 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 would you do us a favor? Whether you're in the room or watching online, would you text the number that's appearing on your screen right now? Text the words, I prayed to 844-HRC-TEXT. When you text that number, I'm going to send you some things that I've prepared just for you. It'll help you understand what just happened inside of your heart and what to do next. So please give me that honor of helping you with that next step in your life. I'm proud of you. Keep going. It's good. Excellent. Well, Howard's fam, go ahead and look up at me if you would, then stand to your feet. As we finish up today, I want to invite our elders and their wives to step forward. They're going to remain at the front of this platform to be available to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer for. Also want to ask you for a couple of things as we're finishing up. Um, the third week of August, right about the third week of August is when the majority of our people bombard this church. We hit the biggest numbers that we have between um, Easter Sunday and that third week of August. And between that and Labor Day, we have major numbers. Now, uh, that affects this service a lot. There's not much more room. Um, we've experienced on the past few weekends a um, hundred people more than even last year. And so we're very quickly running out of space in this service. So uh, lots of people are coming in that third week of August. So I wanna ask you for, for a special favor. Um, here's the favor. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to invite your friends. And if your friends are coming, you can come to any service that you want to. But if your friends are not, would you consider moving to the first, which has a little bit of room, but, but not much, or our third service, which is the 12 o'clock service that has a little bit more room. We're already at a place where we're getting at capacity and this is the summer months. So uh, we can tell what's gonna happen. And that's a good thing. It's a good problem to have, but we're only two years inside of this new worship center. We've got about $700,000 left to pay off on this building before we can even consider doing something else. But um, we've got some interesting problems to deal with and things to take before the Lord. So just, just know that this service, the second one, uh, we need to make some room for some people. And so would you pray about it? At least think about it. And then I also want you to know that, hey, this building started out at $2.2 million, which we didn't have. 
we stepped out in faith, and you guys have been so faithful by supporting us that we're getting close to the end, and I, I am so proud of you for doing that. And so we've got some steps that we're going to have to take to make room for our friends that need Jesus. Come on, somebody. And we want to make sure that we make room for anybody that wants a relationship with Jesus. Can I get a better amen than that? People need Jesus. They need a healthy church. We want to make sure that we give it to them. So think about that. Pray about it if you would. Consider moving maybe to the first or to the third service. Um, I'll appreciate it. Uh, it makes a big difference when you open up your seat, especially in the second service, for somebody that needs a, needs a home church. Then I'll ask the same from them as they come in and get plugged in as well. So these guys are up here, my elders and their wives. They're going to be available to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer for. For everybody else, let me bless you and send you out. Father, I thank you for my friends. I pray you would bless them with an incredible week following after you all week long in Jesus' name. And all of us said together, amen. God bless you as you go. I hope you have an awesome week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, Connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support, and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week, and we will see you next time.